This podcast is brought to you by Media 8. Welcome to Off the Cuff with Kel, conversations from the front line, a podcast and live show for survivors and the leaders who support them. I'm your host, Kelly Humphreys, a survivor of child sexual abuse, advocate, author, speaker, ambassador, a lover of all things outdoors with over 15 years of law enforcement experience. Please support me in my mission to break cycles of abuse and trauma. You can help by donating to my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. Hey guys, hello, welcome to uh, episode number, oh my God, 17 um, of Off the Cuff with Kel. I am so excited. We have the amazing Caroline Brun or Brun. How do I say your last name, Caroline? It's Bruni. Bruni. Oh God, I got it completely wrong. (laughs) Oh guys, you're in for a bit of a treat tonight. I'm a little bit special. Um, So it's going to be really interesting. Um, but uh, Caroline and I have had a great chat this week, so I know it's going to be a beautiful, lighthearted, but very deeply personal conversation, I think. And I'm a little bit excited, a little bit kind of, I think, trepidatious. I just made that word up. I'm, I'm not sure it's a word. Trepidatious. Oh, look, I'll have to ask Siri later. <laughs> um, it is a word, It's and you've definitely okay. used it right. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> my, my partner will be very proud of me. Um but yeah, yeah, I'm so very excited to have this conversation. So, but just a really quick note, guys, um, if you haven't listened before, we will be discussing themes of child sexual abuse. So it's a bit of a trigger warning for you. Um, there are numbers on my website at kellyhumphreys.com if you need someone to talk to or you need some support um, as a result of our conversation. But Caroline, welcome. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I know you've jumped in at the last minute. You've taken a dive into the deep end. Um, thank you for being here. My absolute pleasure. Um, I'm so glad you reached out. I think sometimes you we end up exactly where we're supposed to be. So maybe today was the day I was supposed to chat to you. Oh, I, man, you're a sister from another mister. Like, that's <laughs> I, like I am so, I, I know people kind of think I'm a bit woo-woo sometimes, but I'm like I'm totally fatalistic and totally about um, like synergistic connection and like divine like intervention and like mm. people coming along your path at the right time for the right mm. reason. So I freaking love it. It's so good. I'm so excited. All right. Tell us about you. Let's let's just get into it. Let's go. Go. Go you. So it was it was really it's always really funny because um I know in promoting tonight's chat you kind of, which is in my bio, but you you rattled off all the things and, and I was like, yeah, right. Uh, maybe sometimes I'm like, do I need to take some of those things out? But the reality is like, I really can't. So I am a lot of things and I know we're going to be talking about more than one thing being true and a few other things tonight. But yeah, I'm, I am lots of things. I wear many hats. Um, So I am an entrepreneur. So I run a completely separate business to this advocacy work that I do, but I do work in the advocacy space as a speaker and lived experience contributor. I'm also a survivor coach, so I work as a life coach specifically for um, people who have experienced trauma and want to set goals beyond that point in their life. Um, In addition to that, on the side, I am also a model, so I've been modelling now on and off for most of my life, but more recently for the last kind of six or seven years. Um, I'm an author. I self-published my memoir last year. Um, what else? What else do I do? I'm also a mum. So I have a 
nearly 19 year old and an 11 year old so wow um, yeah so that that also keeps me busy but I think that's most of my hats that's most of the things I do that's a lot of hats so <laughs> especially with teenagers yeah oh my goodness um so tell us a bit about how you manage all those hats like <laughs> well um my other business is i run a lifestyle management business which is all around helping people get organized um, manage their mental load and tackle their to-do list so i not only teach people how to do that but as a business we we offer that as a service so we take your to-do list and we do it for you so that's a whole another business that i run that i launched um, over six years ago now. So I've got a wonderful team that essentially keep that running for me. Um, I am the face of the business and the founder, but um, as my role in advocacy and my survivor coaching has grown, I have been stepping more and more into that space. But yeah, that's how I do it. Like I, I, I practice what I preach in that space. Um, I'm also really big on making sure that I block out time for the things that are important to me. So I'm all about that self-care, um, people assume that because there's so many things on that titles or hats or whatever that I must be really busy all the time and never have, but I'm, I rest a lot and I go to the gym and I walk my dog and, um, you know, I do all the other things that I really love and because I fuel myself, that gives me the capacity to be able to intentionally go in and do the things I want to do that make a difference and then take time off and rest and recover when I need to. I have so many things already in my head because they're things that I, I um, well, they're yet to come out because I'm creating my courses now, but you talk about uh, intentionally setting aside time and um, I, I know for myself uh, as a survivor, like not being able to set boundaries was a really and it's still actually a very difficult thing for me to do because being a shift worker my whole life it's mm. just like I fly by the seat of my pants and kind of mm. hope that you know things work out and like self-care kind of goes out the window because you really just don't have the capacity to even look after yourself sometimes so you're, you're raising a very important <laughs> uh, point and you had me at ticking off the to-do list because uh, as the lovely Shelly uh, who now works with me uh, would attest, I am absolutely freaking terrible. I've got more lists and to-do lists than you can focus on. You cannot even see my desk. So um, I think maybe you and Shelly should have a talk. <laughs> you might be able to sort me out, which is... Yeah, we might, we might have a little chat offline. <laughs> oh, no I think I'm going to put in the naughty corner. <laughs> Um, it's uh, it's really interesting that we talk about that as a now don't get me wrong I I feel like I've had this as a natural skill and even when I took like you know when I've had interviews about that business or whatever else um prior to that I worked in the events industry and anyone that works in events knows that you've got to be pretty organized especially as the event manager um but what I've uncovered over the years or over the more recent years is that the likelihood of why I'm so organized is because it's a trauma response. Now that's not to like put doom and gloom against this amazing skill that I have. I'm very 
mindful that I have monetized this skill and I'm making the most of it. But um, in my case, being organized meant I could feel like I was in control and being busy was a really good way of deflecting. So I was busy all the time and I was organized and I had another thing on my list and another project and another project. It's probably why I've got so many hats. But what I've learned through many burnouts is that you have to you have to stop and rest. I'm, I'm preaching to the to the converted, I know. I can, I can oh, feel so it. I'm just feel sitting here busting going, I'm like, God, like you're just talking about all the things that I do. Like <laughs> you raise such a, it, oh, it's so cool. It's actually really cool. Um, it gives me hope. Oh, my God, there's hope. There's hope. There's totally hope. <laughs> and it's funny because I call, like, I call myself a recovering control freak. Like, I am recovering perfectionist, recovering people pleaser, all of that stuff that essentially has served me really well for many. Because people won't, I, I talk about this, like, if you, uh, if you have the trauma response where you potentially you know drink a lot or you overeat or you do this or you do that people will frown like eventually go hey you okay or like hey maybe you shouldn't do that or it's it's frowned upon but if your trauma response is to be extra busy take on more projects you know take on that other job always kind of always be organized and always be frantically busy people will reward you for that They'll give you yes. more work. They'll praise you for being so together and organized. And it's like, well, it's just a palatable trauma response. It's not necessarily healthy. And in my case, I've learned that that's why rest and recovery has to come first. Because if I'm rested and my cup is full, then I can actually do the things that I still want to do. Like I still want, I want to have all those hats, but I can do them intentionally. And I can also say no to the things that don't serve me. Wow. I, I love it. It's, it's really good because I, I think just maybe it's the police response or whatever, but you're kind of speaking like hallelujahs to me at the moment because uh, it, it's something I've really struggled with because that is my coping and you and you're right people will reward you for it but they think you're doing okay they're like oh they're so successful they're um you know they're doing this and you know forever I've been like oh Kel's do doing so great like oh look at all your stuff that you're achieving and I'm like mate I'm I'm surviving this mm. is me surviving but you don't kind of know that you just kind of fall into the trap of keeping on keeping on really yeah and maintaining that state of hypervigilance and, and not even being able to acknowledge that there's something under that because mm -hmm. when it gets uncomfortable you just do something else right yeah, I was talking about something else you play yeah I was talking about because um, I'm up to module five in recording um, my foundations for freedom I'm talking about addiction and talking about addictive behaviors not just substance abuse and stuff like that it's like mm -hmm. all the shit we do that's like harmful and compulsive so it might even be exercise or we think oh exercise is really good for us mm. but when it becomes harmful or compulsive and it yeah. robs you from you know the good things in your life and stuff like that then it's actually a destructive behavior mm. we don't see that you know yeah uh, and i've fallen into that forever so anyway we've like totally jumped the gun like we haven't even heard anything about your story we just got so excited <laughs> i just got so excited uh, you're so in trouble. Shelly and I are keeping you for all of our future plans. Um, <laughs> so you're stuck now. Um, I'm just part of the team. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> We're adopting you. Um, I've got plans for you already. So 
sounds like a, sounds sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, um, look, I I know, um, and look, just share as much as you're willing to share, mm -hmm. Caroline, because uh, I I know how difficult it is to share about familial uh, abuse, and mm -hmm. you know that's my story as well. So, yeah. uh, it, it's pretty rare, and unfortunately as you and I both know, um, there's so much talk about institutional abuse and things that happen, um, you know, in schools and churches and the 1% and the, and the, you know, kid who's potentially abused in a playground or something like that. And mm. it's those occurrences are actually really rare. Mm. Um, and 89% of sexual offending is happening behind closed doors with someone who is known to the child but we just don't talk about it and mm. um i i know that coming on here and sharing your story uh was very courageous so i thank you in advance but um i just would love for you to share what you're comfortable with a little about your journey and how you got to where you are yeah definitely um i really love that you highlight the word institution, um, as it's something that I definitely speak about a lot. And I do, I agree that, and I respect the fact that we need to talk about large institutions like churches and schools and, um, you know, scout clubs and other, other institutions like that, because the reality is when an institution is created, um, a hierarchy of power is in place. And when that a power is abused, that's when we see situations of childhood sexual abuse. Um, that's predominantly the, the topic that I talk about. Um, but I do raise the institution of family because it has the same structure of power. And what makes it even more challenging is it doesn't have an, ex there's no external body policing navigating monitoring like there's 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 no one outside of our families generally that are going to come into our families and have enough say um to to make significant change and unfortunately the power structure internally means that the silence that's created um creates further abuse further cycles for abuse and whatever else um, so in my case, I was sexually abused by my father and that went on right under the noses of my mother and my two siblings. Um, it went on for about four years and when it stopped, um, they still didn't know that it, it had happened. Um, and it took two more years for me to disclose to my mum. Now, due to the overlayer of what I now see to be family violence and coercion, um, she chose not to leave. And so I remained in our family structure until three years ago. So what that means, and, and this ties into the title of my memoir, is that in many ways more than one thing was true. So during the abuse itself, um, I was still a pretty good student. I went to school. I did my stuff. I was pretty busy and organized. And I was this really picture perfect daughter, student, whatever. Um, 
to the extent that my siblings and my mum didn't know that this was happening right under their noses. Um, post the disclosure, um, because I was so high functioning, it was like, oh, well, Carolyn's going to be okay. And breaking up this marriage isn't an option or isn't the option I'm choosing. And so it was kind of this unspoken rule that if I could just get on with it, then we could still be a family. And if we could still be a family, we could still keep pretending that everything was fine. And when there's a power structure at play as a child and as a teenager and as a young woman and so on and so forth, you kind of just don't know what to choose. When we think about the structure of family and we think about the way that we are supposed to rely on and um, how we need our parents from the moment we're born, there's this real tug of war that happened for me internally around this is causing harm, but these are the people who feed me, educate me. Um, and in the same breath of the abuse happening, I was being taught about music and art and love and community and volunteering. And so this is the complexity of often the people that are closest to victim survivors, especially children, who play roles in society of that really lovely uncle or coach or whoever because they're actually pretty good at being fairly decent humans outside of the structure of the abuse. Um, so in my case, I pushed it down and pushed it down and, and lived in my family structure for decades um, and I initially didn't speak up or do anything because I have a younger sister and, and I said, well, if my, we're not leaving, then I need to stick around to make sure nothing happens to her. So I essentially was by her. She was by my side always and I can say that nothing's ever happened to her. But then by that point we had lived this life for so long that I was like, well, when do I tell her? How do I tell her? So it took me till 2020 to tell her, um, which then created a whole new dynamic for our family. And I've since estranged myself from my parents and my sister and I are still really close. And um, I have a difficult relationship with my other sibling, but overall um, I've come out of that institution of family and I've had to consciously say, consciously give up that, uh, that almost that, innate primal Maslow's hierarchy of needs type concept of need of family, I've had to consciously distance myself from that so I can heal, so I can have boundaries, so I can do what I need to do because both can't exist in the same space. So that's a lot to unpack. So thank you for yeah. just breathing through that. It's, a, it's like that was me condensing a 30-year story into a couple of minutes. But, um, yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there. There's obviously in regards to the fact that the abuse is my father in the fact that my mum chose to stay, being in a household and a family structure for decades, it's a complicated story. 
but you so very courageously have shared and I just appreciate you for doing that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, I do think it's really important. Uh, I have a lot of women in my support groups and, and obviously different listeners and things like that that constantly struggle with the fact that, um, like like what you're talking about with, with your mum, that she didn't leave, right, mm-hmm. and maintain that relationship. And often that's a very silencing decision. It's very subconscious, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Um but it's it's part of the, the grooming process. Yeah. A lot of families they they don't realize um, that they're also being groomed, right? Like they don't realize the perpetrators are doing this. My uncle did the same thing. Um, he was a bit like a father figure, I'd say. My my mom uh, really relied on his strength uh, to help because she lost her mother so young, which was the age of ten. So he was like a big support to our family. Uh, never would have picked that. It was he was grooming, he was grooming us. It wasn't well grooming them to get get to me, mm. uh, and and it's that whole being able to do this under the nose of those other people within the family, and to this like so my my aunt stayed married to him, and it, it, again a complex story, but you know went to court and all those types of things, and I had to get a right of reply from her, which revealed that she said she knew nothing about it even though he pleaded guilty and <laughs> still didn't believe him and I was like how can you not believe someone who pleads guilty to all these charges but still yeah. stayed married to him and um it, it really I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about um you know being kind of stuck in this institution because you you it's like even if you don't have that conversation the fact that they stay with them is like they either don't believe you, they're dismissing your truth and all those types of things. And there's so many women and men, you know, that, that have this story of their family not believing them and being stuck in an institution that they feel they cannot get out of. Mm. So and the isolation sounds- outside of the institution is is deafening. Um, so when you estrange yourself from family every Mother's Day, every Father's Day, every Christmas, every incidental conversation where someone says, what do parents do or where do they live or do you live close to them or like all harmless, well-meaning day-to-day chit-chat. There's no, there's no plan for that. So you, you're constantly navigating the, the normal world um, and also trying not to traumatise people. So if every time someone said, oh, is this like, you know, what are you doing for Christmas? Are you going to see your parents? And I go, no, because of this and this and this. Like that's a punch in the face. Like it's not a conversation you have at the coffee shop where you're lining up to get your latte. Like it's it's so, it's like a minefield that you're constantly navigating. You have to pick and choose. Like when do you tell someone that you're estranged versus changing the subject and, um and it's really lonely out there because you're out by yourself. Like I, there's a chapter in my memoir where I talk about my island and how it essentially like I moved away from the mainland because that's where the institution is. And there's so many people that I love that still live there, but I can't, I can't be there. And so when they're like, oh, but we know the truth now and we've, 
you know, we've made it as safe as possible for you. Please come back and visit. And I'm like, not only can I not come back and visit because all of the, like all of the landmines that you can't see are there for me, why would I come back? And why are you still there? And so creating an island where it's set on my values, my safety, what I need for my family so we can start rebuilding, breaking cycles. But some days I'm there with a very small handful of people and it's lonely. It's full of grief because I'm grieving people that I could very quickly pick up the phone and say, hey, do you want to catch up? And I'm sure that they would be quite happy to do that. But, like, it it just doesn't, there's no alignment there. So, you know, you have to have those really hard boundaries, which can be really lonely. I think that's really brave, Caroline. I I really do. Um, And I I often say, like, you know, if, if, if you're going to share your story with somebody, they need to make you feel safe, seen and heard. And that means to listen without judgment and love you without conditions like, you know, mm. I'm around here and I'll do this, this and this for you, whatever it is. But often there's always something tied to it or you have to give something when it comes to family and yeah. things like that. Making that really hard line decision to cut somebody off is really fucking brave, especially when it's those close family members and I, and I and I and I talk about it but I I know how hard it is to make that final decision so I'd love you to share if you could and if you feel like you can about what what you do and how you've been able to do that I, I know many many of the women um who are in my support group are often talk about still being attached to family and 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 you know other family members taking other people's sides and not believing them. And and I, I find that really fucking shit, sorry, but I mm. get really angry because I just don't know how you can cannot believe a child. 98% of children are seen to be telling the truth. We know this. Mm. Um, but it just pisses me. <laughs> really yeah. makes me so angry. Yeah. So please, please share what you can about and, and to give um to give our listeners maybe some kind of an idea on how to move through those Mm. decisions i think um the first thing i would say is to make sure that the person the victim survivor is safe um so that they feel safe and grounded enough to be able to communicate their boundaries um safety is is multifaceted so it's physical safety as a starting point, um, but then psychological, emotional, um, spiritual, if if you're a spiritual person, um, we know the difference between feeling safe and unsafe. And, and sometimes that needs to be supported with external people in your life. So you may need to estrange yourself from certain people. Um, and in this case, we're talking about family, but making sure that there are some there is some support for you because that's the that's the first really hard part is when you're choosing to estrange yourself you're creating a level of separation and isolation and if that means that you're moving into a space where you are actually completely alone you're likely not to feel safe um because as humans we need others and so 
in working out what safe feels like for you, um, that's probably the first step. So it's a really internal step. Um, once you establish that safety, you'll likely find more courage to you'll likely find more courage to be able to communicate your needs and identify what your values are around maintaining that safety. So if that is that you outright won't see someone anymore or speak to them, then communicate that and be really clear. Um, and that's super tough. I'm not implying that, that that communication is going to be easy, but it needs to be concise. It needs to be really clear. And you need to just know what those boundaries look like. So some people, for example, will say, um, I don't want to see that person one-on-one, but if we're in a like a group setting, that's okay. I'll just avoid them. Because they, they can do that. They can maintain their safety and be in that setting. Some people cannot. And so that's why, once again, going back to what that safety feeling is for you um, and remembering that it's yours. So it isn't about making other people comfortable. It isn't about pleasing your auntie or your uncle or your granddad because, like, you know, granddad's getting old and he's going to be so upset if you're not there. And who the fuck cares? It's not their problem it's your safety. So work out what that is and then communicate what you need. Make sure that the people that are in your safety net know what those needs are. So if you get the wobbles, they're there to back you and go, hey, remember when you said you weren't going to do this? I'm just checking if that hasn't changed. And if that hasn't changed, I've got you back. You don't need to do the thing you don't want to do. Um, and then reiterating those things over and over and over again <laughs> because people cross your boundaries all the time <laughs> they're just that's, that's what people do they just step over those lines because they're imaginary and they don't like they're not physically there um so reiterating them no sorry I can't come because um I know that that person's going to be there and I, as I've said to you before I'm not comfortable being in their space it's something I need for myself but thank you for the invitation um, or whatever it is. Um, so I definitely have different boundaries with different people. Um, and my mom is probably the person that I probably struggle with the most. Um, because when I was younger, I very quickly mentally and emotionally distanced myself from my dad. So though we were still physically in spaces together at times, we didn't really speak. Um, it was kind of always just swept under the carpet as, oh, they just don't get along or whatever. Um, but my relationship with my mum was still pretty active and right up until 2020. So that is a huge amount of grief. And so the, the way that that boundary sits is that I am still respectful and um, she will still, I'll still get you know, a text message on my birthday or on maybe the birthdays of my children, but she won't ask if she can see us. Um, she's very respectful. I've I've been clear what the boundary is and, and so I'm not trying to cause more harm. I don't actually wish any ill on her. I love her and I terribly miss her. But um, I also know that I don't feel that she can have, have it both ways. So... Uh, she's made it really clear where she stands. Um, I've made it really clear what I need for my safety and those two things don't align. So, um, yeah, I think you really need to judge every situation, but if you keep coming back to what 
is best and safe for you, you'll hopefully be able to find what's truest for you and then it will maybe make it easier. It's not going to implant that it's easy because it's just not. I just I think you're very courageous and especially like I think it's really important when there's kids, like you've got two beautiful children and, you know, there's always this thing is like, oh, your grandfather wants to get to know the kids and like, you know, or your dad or whoever, like, um, you know, they're not going to be able to have this relationship with this person, which you know is unsafe, but, you know, it's almost like this guilt trip of saying, well, they should get to know the, this person and blah, blah, blah. And so you kind of put in this position that even though you put your boundary there, you said, hey, like, this is what I'm okay with. And then they still push. And I, I, I say this, but I, I haven't actually had to do this because it was just an automatic boundary for us. It was like, that's it. We're cutting off all communication with this person. But um, when people push that boundary again, after you've said this is what, I've ne- what I need, they're not your people. Yeah. They're, they're not your people. When you constantly have to revalidate your boundaries and reassert yourself, it's traumatic to do mm-hmm. that continually say that over again and so for me like I'm thinking what you're saying like I don't know how you've done that it's take must have taken so much courage to do that um because I haven't had to reassert my boundaries they were just there it's just like that's it we're done mm. we're never having contact with him again and I know that must be very difficult for people in my family I don't know um we don't talk about it but it's yeah it's a given it's just like well he's done this and that's that Mm. and and sometimes it is and that's amazing like if if you've got enough people with you on your island that's that's cool um yeah i i know many people unfortunately in the same position as me and and i think time also plays a big part in this so a lot of people didn't know until about three years ago and so from that perspective they're like but i forged a relationship with this person for the last three decades so what do i do now um yeah it's it's really complicated um and yeah and i think for me that was a really big part of like i felt i've been talking about child safety and I've been fundraising for Brave Hearts since I can't even remember when and things like that but I always felt like a fraud because I had like because I was still living in my family structure like I was still going to Christmas dinner but I was doing this work and I was talking about the fact that I had been abused but I just didn't show from who so like it, it it's really complicated because I hate this. I hate this saying because I think it's silly, but it's the, the saying of you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like that's what I was trying to do. Like I was like, I want to talk about this because it's been incredibly traumatic for me, but I don't want to lose my family. And so what do I do? I pretend mm. that I'm fine in this family whilst being very open about the fact that I've experienced childhood sexual abuse. And then the inside of me just kept getting eaten alive because I was like, but how, like you're not healing because you're there and you're still the scapegoat and you're still dealing with all this stuff and you you can't heal if you're still being traumatised. So 
very important point. Yeah. Like I, I, I say, you cannot, you can't heal in the environment where you were harmed. I think mm. that it's, it's very difficult. And um, you know, you've made a big decision, and it sounds like you've grown significantly since you've made that decision. And I think you need to do that. Mm. You need to cut people off who are going to create toxicity and and you know take you out of this place where you're not going to be able to grow into your full self isn't yeah. that what perpetrators do to keep you silent like yeah. you know they make you feel like you cannot escape that you're stuck in this place mm. and until you cut them off and until you remove yourself you cannot grow you you, you don't have a voice mm. you're unable to speak up right and it's the it's the perfect way to keep offending yeah Definitely, very much so, and um, and that's how the institution of family exists. It's like any other institution; it's power. So the person that is in most power dictates what happens, and all the all the other they're not innocent bystanders, very much not. But all of the other players in that they have to choose. And it's like when we look at other systems like patriarchy, it's like, oh, well, why do we have patriarchy? And why are women also in that moment of patriarchy? It's like, well, because some women actually benefit, like certain women of certain statures, um, when we think about feminism, they sit in very different, like as a woman of colour, I sit in a very different rung of the ladder when it comes to my feminism compared to a white woman or a white straight woman or whatever. Like there's a hierarchy, we know there is. But when we look at the system of patriarchy as an example, it's built in a certain way. It doesn't actually benefit any of us, including men. But what it does is it benefits different people at different points in the ladder. And it's the same in these institutions we're talking about. So, yes, someone is benefiting the most and then someone else is benefiting and then there's someone at the very bottom who is being abused and exploited and utilised to keep the system running. And we see that in all institutions. And so I think when we talk about abuse in institutions, when we forget to talk about family because it's so uncomfortable. We're missing a really big chunk of the data of children that are being abused. Absolutely. I have so many things I want to talk to you about. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, um, the time is running out. <laughs> sorry. Um, because I'm just like, Jesus, like, uh, I, 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 well, I can't say I hear you on the woman of color because I'm like very white, but uh, <laughs> I have a like, little black lady in there somewhere. I swear. Probably. Uh, you know, I, I went. I lived in America for a few years, and I and I have some amazing African American uh, friends and some beautiful Indigenous um, men and women who are my friends in Australia. And I see the struggles, and I I would love to get you and and potentially some other um, women, men of color, like different races, and 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 from different demographics to all come on and I really want to talk about that as well it's on my list I swear um because it is it is such a like there's so much happening with our first nations people and I really you know want to crack that as well <laughs> we'll, we'll get there we'll get there uh for sure but I want to know I really want to know about um what else could be true like uh did I say that right yeah well, well, oh, well yeah so the title is more than one thing can be true and yeah so when I started wait before I jump in did you have another question you look like you're about to questions <laughs> oh popcorn brain for a reason here my friend like like 
Was there like, oh, was there something specific like, or shall I just let's share? Let's go to the institution of family. Let's talk about what else could be true. Let's <laughs> talk about like what it's like to be a woman of colour. Like let's get into feminism. Like come on, let's go. We've let's got just five minutes. Patriarchy. Let's do that in five minutes. Um, okay, yeah, so the title of my memoir is More Than One Thing Can Be True. And when I, when I was deciding to write, um, which was pretty therapeutic I must say and incredibly hard to do at the same time um so at the start of 2020 I decided that I was going to disclose to my sister and um do you remember the movie the Truman Show yeah yeah so there's when I write about her in my book I she's Truman in our life so we had created this entire world around her where everyone knew and she didn't know. So she had this perfect life as such. It's still built in a space full of trauma. But um, she's Truman. So everyone, we were all designed to, for her to be happy. And so as I am going through my life and experiencing this ongoing trauma and have experienced this abuse, I am, she is, um, has a great relationship with my dad, has a wonderful relationship with both of my parents, is like always really happy and well-adjusted. And and so there's just all of these other elements that are happening along what I'm experiencing. And I'm creating that for her because in choosing not to tell her and choosing to protect her, I wanted her to have a life that was really different to mine. Um, Eventually, at the end of that movie, spoiler spoiler alert, if you're planning to watch the movie, Truman gets to the <laughs> well, Truman gets to the end of this giant dome that is the studio that he lives in, and he exits. And so, when I write about this, I say, as opposed to my sister exiting the Truman Show, I literally push her out the door when I disclose to her. And then, what do we do? We're in the real world. And we're navigating that. And that's just one piece. That's just one take of more than one thing being true because in our lives, um, so, for example, my father gave me away. I've been married twice. Um, my father gave me away at my first wedding. Now, that doesn't make sense to anyone today that knows me, but anyone that knew me back then was like, yeah, of course he did. You guys were like a really lovely, happy family whilst there was all this other trauma from my childhood. So this is what I'm saying about more than one thing can be true. And in, in the same way that my father taught me about music and art and philosophy and some of my most cherished values as a human being actually came from my parents because of the way I was raised, because of the things they taught me, I was also sexually abused in my family and I was also traumatised significantly by being made to stay within that family structure and being made to stay silent for close to 30 years. And both of those things are true. And I think when we can, they're really hard truths to get your head around, but when we can start thinking about the multiple truths that exist for all of us, like even when we're talking about all the hats I wear, like they're all true, 
But some days I do one thing and some days I do another and some days I maybe do two or three at once, but they're all true. Um, when we when we can start to accept that more than one thing can be true and when we can start to accept that survivors can be more than one thing and therefore perpetrators can be more than one thing, we can start hopefully dismantling this picture we have of what a survivor is supposed to look like. Like I'm supposed to be a mess right now, but the perpetrator is also supposed to be some ogre under the bridge. So when we stop thinking like that and we start seeing people as complex as they are, we can start actually dismantling and deciding what we do with that information because I don't believe that perpetrators are just born perpetrators. So something's happening, something's wrong in the system. And I think when we start looking at the multiple truths and looking at what potentially goes wrong and looking at why someone abuses their power, we can hopefully start making changes because some right now the way we're trying to change things isn't really working. Like we're not seeing a dramatic spike or change in this data. We're seeing pretty consistent data year in, year out. Um, but our social thoughts around the good people and the bad people, that hasn't changed. Um, and in the same way that some people out there will look at my dad, meet him, not know anything about him and think he's the most lovely good guy ever, some people will look at me and think that I'm the most polished together person they've ever met. And I, I've got some shit going on sometimes. <laughs> like it's not great all the time because I'm a high functioning trauma survivor. Um, so yeah, it, the reason for the title, the reason for unpacking my story whilst also sharing a range of other research and other bits and pieces is because I want to, I want to help people rethink how they, think about this stuff I want to help them unpack it maybe start again and hopefully we can try to do something different I love it I, I when I saw that I was just like it actually echoed my friend Justine Dean who's also a survivor and a coach she's amazing um she does this thing to me all the time and she's like oh come on Kel what else could be true and I'm like oh for fuck's sake and so she makes me think right and it's, so she's like it hurts oh. your brain <laughs> Oh, I know. It's so annoying. But I, I guess like when I think of that and and I think this is the hopeful part for survivors is when you start thinking of your limiting beliefs, right, all the things that the perpetrators said to you and, mm. you, know, um, you know, this is your fault, like making you feel like you were complicit in it or you want this, see, you like this, don't you? Like, you know, mm. making you think all these things so there's this like shame, right, mm -hmm. and you have this internalised belief about this and when you start asking the question what else could be true mm. you start to look as an adult and go well actually I was really brave that's mm. true I was really brave and what else could be true is well they were lying to me yeah. and convincing me that I needed to do this mm. and what else could be true? I'm brave and I'm, I'm, I'm not a coward. And all the other things that we, we don't think of outside of our trauma response because all we're doing is we're digging into this place. So many, many of us are PTSD, right? PTSD yeah. has symptoms of being hyperfixated, 
um, you know, being unable to sort of like, once you start thinking about something, you kind of really, really struggle to not think about the thing, right? Mm. Uh, and, and that's one of the things, right? So you start thinking about this belief, this thing in your head, and you can't stop thinking about it. So as soon as you can break that and say, hey, mm. what else is true? That was your line. <laughs> what else could be true? Yeah. And you can start opening up the possibilities that there's other things out there. And, you know, we do, we really do get hyper fixated and really stuck in these cycles of thinking and we trap ourselves. We yeah. really, really trap ourselves. We so do. I, I just love all the things you shared tonight about it. You're just so freaking brave. Like I can't wait to get to know you and learn more about your story and um, definitely going to have to get you back. Um, we've still got 10 minutes to like talk about the 500 other things. That, um, <laughs> We don't have that just means you have to come back. Um, but yeah, like I just I just think it's so courageous and um, you know, there's definitely a lot in that, especially around the institution of family and uh very exciting. So next fortnight, so in two weeks' time I have John Rouse uh coming on this podcast and we are gonna smash open this topic as well. I'm Amazing. I'm very scared and yeah <laughs> I, well, you, we're, we're like 50 minutes in you're doing really well you're worried about this one so you're gonna be fine <laughs> oh well it, I just I mean there's so many places I want to go but I'm, I'm kind of like how far do I push it you know because there's mm. so many things within this that like for, here, here's a really good example so I put a post up recently and the question was what did you need to hear when you were a child right at that point of you wanting to speak up, right? you know, you know the part where you wanted to tell your mum, mm. the part where I wanted to tell my mum, say, hey, like, I feel really yucky. I'm not really, I'm so confused. What is this? Like, I don't understand. And and I remember looking at my mum and, like, it's just this pleading with my eyes and hoping that she could kind of read my eyeballs. Yeah. 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 You, I don't know. Did you do that? Did you just look at her and be like, can you not? I'm telling you right now. Can't you yeah. subconsciously feel what I'm saying? Wouldn't that be great if people could read our minds? <laughs> and I'm just thinking, I told you. I told you telepathically. <laughs> oh, I told you. You know, but it is, it is that deep longing inside mm. of us of wanting to be saved, but not knowing how to have a voice, right? Like, and I, I don't allow myself to go there because it mm. fucking hurts, right? Because it's yeah. that point where you're like, all of us as little children still need to hear those things at that moment as adults, mm. right? And when we forget that when we're in crisis as an adult, when we're hurting as an adult, we still need that loving and that nurturing from the people in our world. And if the people in our world cannot give us that, they are not the right fucking people. Yeah, It is really, really shit that we allow people in our life that can't do that for us i'm i'm so guilty of it i have sabotaged the shit out of myself by allowing people into my life who rob from me who steal away the joy and and my my direction and my vision and yeah all my trauma coping shit when i'm like fucking you can't you shouldn't be like that shouldn't all the projects that i do and i'm like well now i'm using them so suck that up uh I, you know, said I was going to write a book and fucking here's another project you're going to do. Well, here's my book. There you go. I've written one mm, now. What do you mm. think about that? I'm like, should I show you? <laughs> yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I totally get it. And that's the thing. Um, yeah, we, we do. We, because <laughs> we, we make decisions that aren't from our point of safety. We make decisions because they're for other people, not for us. That's right. And we're scared and, and we don't really know the path. We don't know a path when we feel like we're alone. Mm. And, you know, some of those things are like, um, you know, I, I don't know, what did you need to hear? Like I, I needed to know I was going to be safe and, mm. um, you know, I love you and um, you're not going to be in trouble. Like you're not going to, that was the biggest thing. You're not going to get in trouble. Yeah. You did nothing wrong. Right. Yeah. Especially because it's like my uncle, like, and for yeah. you, freaking dad, like, I just yeah I totally know where you're coming from and to be honest I don't know what I needed like yes generally there's a lot of things that are pretty obvious that I needed to hear um I think for me what was interesting wasn't necessarily thinking about what I needed to hear back then it was when both of my boys turned 10 and became the age I was when the abuse started that I was like oh wait what like it was hard when both of my boys were born. Um, that was definitely a really difficult time. But when my children reached the age I was, and what's interesting is that my, because there's a big gap between my boys, but when my eldest reached that age, I was still in that family structure. So it was difficult, but it wasn't insightful. It was just triggering. And then I just dealt with it. When my youngest um, turned 10, was also the same month that I released my memoir. Now, I didn't actually do that on purpose. It just kind of happened that way. Um, but the reckoning that happened with me as I, you know, was hosting his 10th birthday party and I was like his friends, some girls were there that he's, he was friends with from prep and I was looking at them going, they're so small. Like 10-year-olds are really small and they're so innocent and they're so they trust me because they'd known me for like quite a few years at that point and they were all his close friends and and I remember just looking at these little girls going how how does that happen to someone so small and so innocent and so beautifully wonderful and just full of life that that's the stuff that gets me when I and like as I said like that was a moment where I was like oh this is really hard um acknowledging that um because that's when I you know I see myself in those moments and I'm like just the sheer tininess of a 10 year old and, and knowing that power and balance so yeah, I think what's been interesting, especially as I said with my youngest son, is is speaking to those young kids and going, you guys are amazing and how amazing is it that you can use your voices and you trust us and, like, just trying to embed all of that consent discussion, open discussions, looking out for your friends, looking out for when something doesn't seem right. So when the fairly average kid starts being a high achiever, that could also be a red flag. Just like, you know, it's not them necessarily getting in trouble that's always the red flag. It's just unusual behaviour. Um, it's the one that's always super quiet because they don't want to, they want to fly under the radar because there's some shit going down in their life. Um, 
Yeah, so they're probably the things I think about more often than not. I, I've I've come to a real peace when it comes to acknowledging my younger self. I think there was definitely a stage where I used to be angry at my younger self or I used to be disappointed or that she didn't speak up earlier, that she didn't do something, that she didn't say something, like all of those things that uh, that a lot of survivors really negative things or things we've heard from perpetrators or whatever. But, yeah, I now look at my younger self or photos of my younger self and I, man, I'm just just so freaking proud of her because if she didn't fight as hard as she did, I wouldn't be here. Like if she didn't do the groundwork and then, you know, the 12-year-old and the 14-year-old and the 20-year-old and the 30-year-old, they didn't do that freaking hard work I wouldn't be able to sit here and easily talk about trauma like that's that's years that's decades of different versions of me showing up and doing the really hard work to keep me going because not everyone is blessed with that not some people just they've got to check out and that's just where they're at and we know in our survivor community not everyone is not everyone can fight for this long and so yeah that's that's the relationship I have with the younger versions of me wow I just thank you for that I'm proud of her too (laughs) yeah I'm proud of her too and I'm proud of you um I, I don't think we really hear that enough to think of where you've come and what you've achieved like you've done tv magazines like you've done heaps of stuff mate you should be really proud of how far you've gone thank you so, um okay <laughs> people can get us oh there we go insert emoji with like explaining <laughs> that's that, that, that's what's going on here for a second so um tell us really quickly so guys we've only got a few minutes left um if you're listening and um Caroline's running an event this weekend on the Gold Coast. So I'd love you to just chat really briefly about that. Um, yeah. And I'll pop up this QR code while you Amazing. do that. Um, so the event is on Saturday at 1 o'clock um, at QT on the Gold Coast. It is all around survivor support. So um, anyone can come. They don't have to be a victim survivor. Um, so it's just if you want to be a better human, and you know that you might have put your foot in your mouth, you might not understand things like that analogy of the island, you might not even know what a good boundary is or how to support someone when they're maintaining their boundary. Those are the kind of things that I'll be talking about. So there's a few key points that I want to share with people um, and just so they can just be better at this because it just takes practice because we do, we put our foots in our mouths all the time because we're just human and we're trying really hard and so if you have the right intentions, that's great, but sometimes it takes a bit of tweaking because we're talking about really sensitive topics. So that's on Saturday um, and tickets are available till 5 o'clock Friday, which is tomorrow. Oh my God, the weekend's going to be here before we know it. <laughs> all, right, all right, so guys, if you want to grab a ticket, um, if you're local, uh, please do that, jump on that. Um, I just, just really, really quickly, Caroline, is there anything that you want to share with our listeners before we sign off for the night? Any key messages that you'd like to share with our survivors or what? even those who support them? 
I think there's a, I'm just going to answer Claire's question. What time on Saturday? One o'clock, one to four on Saturday. Um, key messages. Um, Putting you on the spot, mate. If you, <laughs> if, as you try to look at what is safest for you, what you want to have as those foundations to move forward, Embrace your whole self. You yes. are genuinely more than one thing. Even if you are a mum and you have a day job and you like to go to the gym, there's three things. Like I'm sure there's more. So we've all done stuff we don't, we're not necessarily proud of. We've all made mistakes. We've all got things that we wish we hadn't have done or said or whatever else and, and embracing all of that, our wholeness. Um, and then when we look at who we are as a full package, um, we can, one, make better decisions about who we want to be and who we're becoming and what, what decisions we're making. And we can also have a look at what we know and what we need to unlearn and what we want to learn more about. Then when you work out what you want to know more about and what boundaries you have, then that's the path. Make sure you got some yeah. awesome people by your side. 100%. Call out to the survivor community. If you don't have anyone in your day-to-day -day life, Cal and I, we've got you back. Like there are people like us that have got your back 100% because we get it. Um, and, yeah, so that that's probably it. Just show up. Fully embrace all the sides of yourself, even the ones that are the darkest, and that will be a really great foundation for moving forward. Oh, that's beautiful, Carolyn. I totally echo all of um, those sentiments. So thank you so much for being brave and courageous and sharing. Um, just fantastic. I, I can't wait to get you back. Um, it sounds like we've got 499 things to talk about. <laughs> I can see, I think Claire, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can see Claire, Claire, if you can't use the QR code, um, if you just head to my website or even just message me and I'll send you the link. It's beautiful. It, it's really, yeah, we'll, we'll get you there. Um, guys, just really quickly, um, if you haven't already, so just letting you know so my free ebook reclaim your freedom uh you can get that now um it is eight cycle breaking strategies for survivors of child sexual abuse so it's kind of like all the shit you need to do before you dig into your healing all right so it's kind of like learning to speak up and um you know yeah you'll get a video and it'll come as an email and yes i will get your email address but there's a good reason for that um and i Honestly, like it, it's actually really good, and I'm not saying that because I wrote it. Um, I'm saying that because other people re read it and said it was good, right? So <laughs> please jump on that. It's free. You don't have to pay anything. Um, so if you haven't got it already, jump on that and do that. And, guys, two weeks' time, I will have the amazing John Rouse. If you don't know who John he's actually currently the victim's um, commissioner for uh, Australia. Um, he's a retired detective inspector. He's worked for Argos for years, um, like 30 plus years, 40. I'm going to get it wrong and be completely embarrassed myself, but uh, he is probably the leading child protection advocate in Australia right now. Uh, 
every time I talk to him, I'm both inspired and also scared shitless um, at the same time. So uh, if you want to be part of that conversation, if you want to know how things really are, please join us in two weeks' time. The more the merrier. Please share the event when you see it come out, guys. It's going to be a very, very powerful conversation. Um, so, yeah, we'll see you again very shortly. Caroline, thank you so much again for joining us tonight. Uh, powerful, powerful conversation. Um, and we will see you guys all again soon. Thank you for being part of Off the Cuff with Kel. Thank you so much for being part of Off the Cuff with Kel. Breaking cycles of abuse and trauma is not something that can be done alone and requires all of us working together. Your support makes a huge difference. If you've found the content of this podcast valuable, you can support my work through my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. You can also find me on all major social media platforms. Through my website, kellyhumphreys.com, you can contact me for speaking in workshops as well as purchase my first book, Unscathed Beauty. If you found any of the content today distressing, please reach out to appropriate support agencies in your country. For emergencies, contact your local law enforcement agency.